Joining me right now, Dean Paul Robbins. Now, uh, he is from the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies, and that is here at the UW-Madison. And thanks so much for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me, Terry. I just want to ask you right off the bat, um, I'm sure you hear so much about the arguments both for and against the idea of climate change. When you look at science, what should all of us be thinking about? Climate change is real. Yeah. So that's it. It's that I, simple. I don't hear arguments for or against because I'm surrounded by scientists who spend the last several decades studying the atmosphere. So there, there are not arguments for or against in science. There are arguments. There should be arguments about what we should do. Okay. Uh, how, do how do we address it? And that's what people should start thinking about. Like what, what kinds of creative innovations do we need? What kinds of trade-offs do we have to make? What are the hard choices? We need those conversations right now. Those kids were out in the street, and that's what they were asking us to talk about, not some pointless argument about snowballs in the Senate. Yes, so. absolutely. And, and I'm finding this so interesting, and does it make your heart feel good to see the young people out there and really taking this as a serious issue, but yet they're also saying to the lawmakers, why are you making us have to do this? That's exactly right. I mean, uh, Greta Thornburg was really outspoken yeah. on this. Like, this is, this is your problem, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, But it is also really uplifting. And I know that it's great to be on a, on a camp, college campus or in a high school because that's who I hear every day, too. People demand, kids demanding action, young people demanding action, and they have the keys to the, to the kingdom next. So I'm, I'm all, you know, and it won't be too late. There's no such thing as too late. That's something else people need to think about. Everything we do now matters in the future. So yes, there's going to be change on this planet. It's inevitable. But if these young people are really serious and they can get everybody else serious, there is time to do lots of great things. I want to ask you about um, the film that we all had the opportunity to see Wednesday night on campus. Why do you think it is so important to bring something like this for the entire community to be able to see and to see it for free? Well, the film is uh, Anthropocene, the human epoch. And it is part of a, a film series, Tales from Planet Earth, that we do. But it is just a remarkable uh, piece of work. So what people are going to see in this film are sweeping vistas that show the extent that humanity has transformed the planet. And it isn't just climate change, right? Mm-hmm. It's giant uh, landscape-transforming mines and deforestation, uh, stacks of elephant ivory on fire. Mm-hmm. It, is a, it is an incredibly moving, strangely beautiful right, set of images that really tell us about the extent of, of our human impact. And I think for a lot of people, climate change and these other things are really, they're really abstract. Yes, like, yes. How do I get my head around it? But when you can see activity on the landscape, you can see the, the land on fire, that gives you a really visceral experience. And I think that that opportunity is motivating, and I think it's hopefully not too discouraging because I also want people to come away with a sense that they can do something and that they can participate. But the film does give you a sense of the global scale of wow. people. What do you hope um, people after this film, will, will there be a moment um, to kind of talk about what everybody saw? I, I guess I'm even fearful of people leaving and thinking, oh, no, this is so huge. I can't do anything as one person, but yet everybody can help. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, while well, the programming for this film doesn't have, um, for example, a Q&A with the directors or okay. anything else, yep. it's being because it's being shown simultaneously in cities around the country. It's a premiere, right? Um, there's a whole year to talk about this stuff. We're calling this the year of the environment. 
And we have a lot of uh, events where the public can come out and have a conversation. So, for example, we've got an upcoming Tales from Planet Earth, uh, sorry, uh, an upcoming uh, Jordal public lands discussion, which is just basically storytelling. People coming out and telling stories about the environment and why they care about it. So they're there's a whole year now on the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, and it's the 50th anniversary of our own institute, to talk about this stuff. And I, I want to make sure um, we direct people to those resources, because I don't want them leaving the movie feeling inactive right. or hopeless. I don't want that either. And where are the best resources? Obviously, um, you work with the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Tia Nelson. And is this a good place to at least start digging in to learn a little more? Yes, two things to say. We are co-sponsoring this event with the Outrider Foundation, mm-hmm. where Tia uh, Nelson is a, is a director. And um, they have a lot of programming coming up in the next year on the 50th of birthday. So check out our, our friends at Outrider. Okay. But they can also come directly to us, which is www.5050.nelson.wisc.edu. So 50 Nelson Wisc, because of the 50th anniversary. Right. And there, there is a list of activities, of community conversations. We have a calendar of art events there. So a lot of artists are coming out of the woodwork, mm. so to speak. Um, trying to express our current environmental moment. And they want people to visit and to see their installations and to hear the music. So that calendar is available, and it keeps it's populated in real time. So as artists get new events, they just pop them onto that website. So that's a live website. People should go there. Okay. They see resources. I'm talking right now with Dean Paul Robbins with the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies. Of course, we're talking about the Nelson Institute and what you might be able to find for information there. What is the connection? How, how does this come together with the UW and the Nelson Institute? And I know you mentioned being on a college campus is a good thing. We are, well, we're part of the University of Wisconsin. That is actually, that's a, that's a, good, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Not everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. We are a division of the university, essentially, a small college. So we have hundreds of undergraduates and dozens and actually about 100 graduate students, and we have faculty and we have research centers. So we're a resource for the public and the community and for across the campus at the UW. So we're sort of a front door, and that's, where we've, that's what we've served for since 1970. Mm. So if people have questions, say, hey, I want to know about chronic wasting disease. I'm sure, I'm sure not an expert on that, right? But <laughs> our network has lots of people on campus who are, and if they come through our front door, we can direct them to things that they're concerned about, whether that's the death of three billion birds since mm. 1970, incredibly discouraging report out this week. Yes. Um, or if it's something more local in their community, like phosphorus or water quality, we can direct them there. So the connection is we serve the public and educate the public while also being the resource of the university. And that's why this film is such a good example, right? It's, a, it's an opportunity that we had with Outrider to show something that people will want to see. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, part, be part of the, uh, the campus community. It's going to be shown here at Union South. Which is perfect. You mentioned the birds. Is there something more that you can tell us about that? What do we need to know? How is this happening? Oh, well, I mean, there's lots of causes. I mean, it's, it's such a, there's something that people can kind of connect to. Yeah, you recall yeah. Rachel Carson in the, in the 60s wrote Silent Spring, and that was a reference to the way DDT was 
killing birds, oh. actually, and as a result, right, creating silence. And that's how you know birds, you, know, you start to notice them when you don't hear them. Um, there are lots of different reasons that this is going on. Uh, a lot of it is just the collapse or loss of the ecosystems mm-hmm. and the sites where they live and breed. Um, restoration ecology, which is the science of bringing this stuff back, tells us that this doesn't have to be a one-way path. Uh, catastrophic as it is, you can uh, you can make agriculture and urban development uh, friendlier uh, for uh, for birds of all kinds. So there's ways to to actually address these population losses. Some of them, of course, have to be a cause of climate change, um, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, arid land birds in the southwest. Uh, are falling off in droves because the heat has become extreme and the shoulder seasons have gotten longer. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a million different reasons that a million birds disappear, um, but there are several ways, concrete ways, that we can address that loss. And I, that's another message I want to get out there, that we're in a global extinction crisis. One million species, according to the UN report over the summer, uh, are on the brink of extinction. Mm-hmm. And yet... We've had graduates from the Nelson Institute uh, bring the island fox back on the West Coast from, oh. from the, you know, to, to a viable population. Right. That's so a solvable problem. Uh, see, and I love that you do take that very positive approach that there is still something that we can do. It's not too late. And I think that's the part people need to hear, that they often hear the other part where they feel helpless. And so then they do nothing. There has been, you know, some numbers floating around since the IPC, recent IPCC report that say things like, well, we've got 12 years or it's all over. Right, right. And, mm-hmm. and I think those are bad talking points. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 12 years, if we don't do anything, things will get worse. That's yeah. exactly right. There, there are thresholds, you know, that we can't come back from. On the other hand, if, if, we, if by 15 years something important happens or if we really make dramatic changes in our transportation and energy in the next 20 years, then my son's future is, a, is in a much happier place than it would be if we don't do that. Yeah. So I don't want people to listen to those, those numbers and freak out. Right. <laughs> I want them to look at those numbers and say, what can I do right now? You know, now is, there is no future, there's no past, there's only now. So, so that's what I would hope people would take away from this movie mm-hmm. and all of our other educational events. So I'm going to ask you, and I don't even know if there's an easy answer for this, but um, when people hear this interview or see the movie, um, and you've probably been asked this countless times, um, what can I do right now, me, just one person, what could I do to make a difference? I do get this question all the time, which is why I keep a list. Oh, you're awesome. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. (laughs) You know, um, there's a project, uh, it's a national project Mm -hmm. called Project Drawdown that I would draw people's attention to. And it is essentially a plan for stopping runaway climate change. And it provides for people essentially a list of things that we could do right here, right now. Mm. And some of them are things that individual people can do. And some of them are things that firms should do. And some of them are things that, that um, utilities can do, mm-hmm. but, you know, a lot of them are, are things they can do right now. Here's one. Okay. Take a look at their, their household landscaping. What is, what are, what's around their house? What, you know, what, is the, what does the vegetation look like? Is it a big old lawn? <laughs> or is it a po- sort of complex polyculture? Is it, is it amenable for the migration of butterflies? What are the birds that they see back there? That's habitat. They're living in habitat. There's no reason that, you know, people put a lot of time and energy into the landscaping. There's no way the landscape, uh, no, no way, no reason the landscaping can't be amenable to um, uh, not just uh, um, 
birds, mm-hmm. but actually capturing carbon. So planting trees is, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not a panacea. It's not going to solve all our problems. Right. But it is something people can do right now. So I want people to think in the immediate terms, like, what can I do around my house, right? What can, can, I, what can I ask from my utility in terms of the availability of wind energy and solar energy? And wind energy is certainly available through our local utility as an mm-hmm. option. You can do that. You can make calls on your, uh, in the th- things you pay bills to. Um, but then you have to do something else, which is ask for change in other places, right? right? Ask for change uh, in, uh, in any, any range of other solutions. You know, one of the, one of the best ways to intervene, as it turns out globally, on climate change is uh, girls' education. Girls' education directly leads to, uh, is perfectly correlated, right, with the empowerment of women in the workforce yeah. and, and, uh, and the fertility rate. People have fewer kids. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the argument that population is our problem. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into that argument, <laughs> but there's no question that that's a win-win. Right. So you should be supporting NGOs that are supporting women and girls. That's actually a climate action. That's, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but that's part of uh, what I'm learning from Drawdown. People can take a look at their transportation uh, you know, it's, yeah. we're, I know the, the, the incoming mayor is interested in building out uh, more buses, especially mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, rapid transit that is, doesn't make as many stops. So it's basically express buses from further out where people generally commute from in a car, right? Yes. When those things are available to you, just use them. They're yeah. actually, they'll be wonderfully convenient. I, there's a, there are lots of options. So how you move around the landscape, how you manage your home, where your energy is coming from, what kinds of NGOs or uh, charities do you support? Each and every one of those choices is climate relevant. That's true.